Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, my burden on Monday this morning, I'm going to come from Exodus, the 17th chapter. It's something I need to give you today. We thank God for this message. Moses has led the children of Israel from Egypt by the hand of God into the wilderness, consequently, to go into the promised land. We have seen the plagues that God sent. Pharaoh because he had hardened his heart to release the children of Israel. We have seen the separation of the waters when the army of Pharaoh came pursuing the children of Israel and the children of Israel go through the sea. Hebrew says as dry ground. And when the Egyptians assailed to do it, the Bible says they were drowned. They were redeemed and delivered by such great power. Praise the Lord Jesus. Now they're in the wilderness. In verses 1, we begin Exodus 17. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses. They argued with Moses and said, give us water that we may what? Drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? He's asking them. And the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle of thirst? They're saying, How would you drag us out of Egypt to kill us with our cattle and our children with thirst? They are pestering him. Again, I want you to mark this. They are judging murmuring, pestering Moses. We want water because we have come from Egypt. Lo, we are here and we are dying of thirst. It seems as though you led us out of Egypt to come and die and our children and animals in the wilderness. Is there something wrong with that kind of statement? Yes, there is something wrong with that statement. Why? Like many people in the world today, 
I'm talking to Christians. It's worse with people who don't know God. Now, many Christians in the world today have not understood the wisdom. They've not connected to the wisdom to design their deliverances, to design their breakthroughs, to design their victories and understand the way of God. The way of God. That is why I have said it a couple of times and I could teach it for many more years to come about the urgency to grow, to, to mature into the prudence of the spirit desired for you to predict your future, to prophesy or speak into your days ahead for you to align yourself to divine purpose you need a certain prudence of the Spirit because the prudence of the Spirit reveals the ways of God to you. So you mature in the judgments of God. Judgments of God, I emphasize. The Bible says that the wisdom of the prudent is to understand His way. Right? Not only the way of a man, but the ways of God also come through the prudence of the Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? For you to know what to do and how to do it is prudence of spirit. But for you to understand the ways of how God does things also comes with a certain prudence of the spirit. Prudence is required in directing your steps, but also in understanding how God functions. Otherwise, you're going to judge things wrongly. The Bible has taught us that knowledge is reconciled or will always be reconciled with the judgments of the Spirit. That's why the love of God in you, the Bible says, shall abound in all knowledge and judgment, that you might examine the things which are most excellent, that you might not have offense, the Bible says, till the day of Christ. Your love should abound more in knowledge and judgment because it's the only way you can truly estimate, examine, assess, the things which are most excellent. Approve or prove the things which are most excellent. Because if you don't do that, you'll always walk in patterns of offense. You'll offend even without knowing because some things which are offense to God, many people cannot understand them because they are far from understanding God's ways and judgment. So there are principles God has designed for us in understanding how his judgments work and how to apply ourselves such that we judge the way God judges. This sharpens your prudence. It aligns you and prepares you to be more effective in interpreting the ways of God and thus then aligning your future, speaking into the days ahead of you and positioning yourself for whatever is coming. This is important. I'll give you a few examples. For example, when Jesus is talking about judgment, he says, that he only judges what he hears. See, this one fundamental principle of how to judge things spiritually. He says, as I hear, I judge. Okay? How does he hear? When Paul says, take heed how you hear, or take heed what you hear, the Gospels tell us to take heed how we hear and what we hear. It's in the Gospels. Okay? So how Jesus heard and what he heard and from whom he had defined how he judged issues. When you study Jesus, 
he had from the Father to judge issues. He never had from man to judge issues. I'm not saying that the opinions or report of men is not important, but as you continue to grow in God, you will realize that you're a man on mission, a woman on mandate, and therefore you cannot do anything that heaven has not sanctioned. See? So one of the fundamental things in understanding the judgments of God with Jesus here, he says, as I hear, so I what? I judge. But he's talking about what he hears from the Father. Many of you judge people, judge circumstances, judge events, judge affairs, based entirely on what you hear from other people without taking the opinion of God. See? Without taking the opinion of God. I'll give you another principle, one of which is do not judge matters before time. See? That means for every judgment of the Spirit, there's a reconciled or appointed timing, kairos of God for you to judge matters. That means there are things, even though you would judge them wrong, you would judge them out of order, you would judge them misunderstood, do not or you should not judge until the appointed time. It can only be full in its accuracy and truth if it has reconciled with a certain time because the sons of time change many things. That's why as you continue to grow naturally, in your normal, you know, the way natural men age, there are things you learn by experience. One of the things you learn as you grow is time proves many things. When you were younger, you were quick to judge many things, okay? You judged your father and how he behaved with your mother. You judged your mother. You judged your neighbor. You judged somebody. And then as you're growing up, you're actually becoming the exact things you judged when you were younger. What has happened to you? Time. You know? There are people we started ministry with and we've walked this journey for many years and some of them thought they were right in doing certain things, persecuting certain people, speaking evil of other people, you know, judging people before time. Now, you look back, and a lot has changed with them. Time has showed us who they really are, where they really are. And some of the people you judge, they're progressing. God is still with them. You see what I'm saying? You judge somebody in marriage, you are not yet married. Now you're married. You're starting to realize, uh-oh, that person actually did better. You see? Time. But I've also learned by God that age may not necessarily mean your years of existence on the earth. Some people, by that rule, are very young. When talking about maturity spiritually, there are people who are 50, but they're still young. Right? They're 80, but they're still young. If they died, we would say, you died young. Who has understood the joke? If you didn't, you're young. <laughs> huh? You understand what I'm saying? And then you have what people they call old souls. This person is, you know, you have your little kid, girl is five, but the thing she's speaking, you're like, <laughs> who taught this kid this? Because they're maturing faster than their age. So sometimes it's not even about our natural age. That is why we thank God for the gospel, because it comes to give subtlety, the Bible says, to the man which is simple. The gospel matures you. It matures you. You find somebody who has been under the teaching of God for quite a long time and they're really under sound teaching. If you look at them, something up there is growing very fast. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now back to what I was trying to tell us here. That you must know how God judges issues. 
Because there's several principles. When you understand the judgments of God, it's amazing. You'll not offend in many things. But two, your life is going to be deliberately without strife and struggle. In many things, we struggle and strive over. Because you live a life of reconciled worlds, eons. The ages around you are reconciled because you know how God judges matters. But when you back to this, this is exactly what's happening to the children of Israel. This is how they are judging God. That after such a mighty breakthrough, with the plagues God has plagued Egypt, with the power he has used to separate the sea for them to pass through, they have judged that Moses led them through all of that power to simply kill them in the wilderness. What a judgment. Like I said, many of you judge God harshly and respond to circumstances indifferently because you cannot discern the deliverances, the breakthroughs of God. What is breakthrough? Let me first help us understand what breakthrough is. What is breakthrough? Because it's an aspect that you cannot find in Scripture. You can't go in the Bible and find the word breakthrough. It's not there. But because you cannot find the word breakthrough, it doesn't mean that the concept is not within the ambits of truth and Scripture, as you know it. You see what I'm saying? For example, we talk about the Trinity. You're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, isn't it? But we know that there's a reconciliation of three persons in one, which is Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Isn't it? But you cannot find the word Trinity. And there are many other aspects in Scripture which are in truth and of truth designed to be picked by men or women which understand or have understanding the person of God through his word. They are not designed for you to understand them, you know, from the surface, okay? It's like um, somebody say, when you go to get married, you have a ring. And then you use rings. Where is that from? Okay, from the times of uh, the Romans and, you know, began with the Roman Catholic Church and many other things. Okay, so that's why we put on rings. So somebody says, okay, show me, you know, where people put rings on when they're getting married. Show me a ring of people getting married. And you say, ah, I don't see it. You can actually say, why am I putting on a ring? Tradition. And then you throw it away. Because you've never seen people, it's truly in scripture, saying that we are exchanging rings as we make vows of our commitment to each other when we are walking down this journey of marriage. But because the word is not there, or the sentence is not there, or the example is not given in scripture, it doesn't mean that the idea or the principle does not exist in the spirit and in truth. I'll explain something. I'll give you two examples. You remember the prodigal son? Huh? This fellow asked for his riches from his father, and then he went and squandered all, and then somehow he comes back to himself, the scripture says. He says, but in my father's house, the servants live better than I'm living. So he goes back to his servants, his father's house. And his father welcomes him back in Luke 15 verses 22. He tells his servants to bring forth a robe to put upon him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So you'll ask, why would he give him a ring? What was the ring for? It was a sign of something 
That is why the old understanding of rings was signet from the word sign of something, right? So when I'm putting on a wedding ring with my wife, I say, I give you this ring as a symbol of my love and commitment to you. And with this, I give myself to you and all the things that I possess in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The ring does not seal my covenant with my wife, but it's a reminding symbol of my love and commitment to them. That is not a sin. Because in Scripture, there's been instances where people have left things or artifacts with individuals either as a sign of honoring them or as a sign of leaving a definitive instruction of reminder of something then that should take purpose and course. We have an experience in the Bible where a man slept with a woman and then he left his clothes with her. He didn't forget it with her, he left it with her. He's saying, one day should you conceive and then you come with this clothes, I will remember that I am the father of this child. You see what I'm saying? That doesn't mean that everybody you sleep with, you leave your hunkies with. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? But you'll hear Christians say, because there are no rings in the Bible, so yeah, it's not sin per se, but if your symbol is a necklace, if your symbol is a whatever, they had to look for something that is easily around an individual, something you can, you know, live with and it will not inconvenience you. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why we still use rings. You see? But that statement is not in Scripture. So it is with the word breakthrough. You might not find this word there, but when you study the language, the sacred even, you're talking about the Hebrew, when you go in Hebrew, you'll find a word called paraz, right? And paraz is actually the word breakthrough. Paraz means to rupture, to tear, to breach, to bust out, a busting forth, a bringing out. That's what it means to break through. And you might not have this word in scripture, but you have a number of biblical experiences that affirm this word, that affirm this work of God as people who broke out of something. You know, they broke through something. When the Bible says the veil was rent in two, two, and now man could access the Holy of Holies, that was a breakthrough for mankind which was purchased by Jesus Christ. So in spiritual sense, it's often described as a sudden and, and, and powerful manifestation of God's power and presence in a person's life, which then, in a way, either will advantage and progress them into a sort of spiritual growth, um, a sort of uh, deliverance from a difficult uh, situation, a sort of advancement in ministry, advantage in life that we call breakthrough. And when you study your individual lives, many of you, there are things you've broken through. When you look at your families, for example, and uh, nobody went to school, but you were the first graduate in your father's house, you broke through something. Why? Because your father's house has never had that kind of thing. Some of you, you were the first person to, to sit on a plane and travel in another country. You go back to learn your lineage, they died in communities, had children in communities, dreamt in communities and built life there. You're the first one to leave that community, to take a flight and perhaps go in a foreign country and do something useful to yourself. 
That means by right in that family, you broke through something. So there are many degrees and dimensions of breakthroughs, and we see that every day. But do you have wisdom in understanding the consequences of that breakthrough, the aftermaths, the results, the things that are going to follow that breakthrough? How, sorry, in as much as you might appreciate or recognize, and in some instances might not recognize that breakthrough, there are certain things that might come following that kind of breakthrough that if you carry no wisdom to discern the way of breakthrough and the pattern or law God has designed for breakthrough, you might err in how you respond and then consequently frustrate God's best on your life. And some circumstances in our way of breakthrough are unfavorable. After we have received our victories, sometimes we enter into passive periods where nothing is really happening. Sometimes I've seen people who after breakthrough have actually gone into stale mode and have become stuck immediately after breakthrough. I've seen people crippled after breakthrough. I've seen people maimed after breakthrough. I've seen people incapacitated after breakthrough. I've seen people leaping after breakthrough. I've seen it in scripture like we have seen it in normal life. When Jacob encountered God, it was a breakthrough. He had connected to a deeper presence. God had reassigned his destiny and named him as he ought. But after that naming, he came out leaping. Yeah? Unlike uh, Jacob, many people who go through that in spite of whatever God has done in their lives tend to become indifferent to what God has ordained for them and through them in their deliverances or breakthrough. And then they invest more time you know, complaining about the limping, right? They're complaining about the limping. See, they're complaining about the stale periods. They're complaining about the cripplings that came after their breakthrough. Not all come that way, but some consequences might be negative, might be frustrating, might be confusing, might be exasperating after major breakthroughs. And how you understand, how you judge things according to the wisdom of God will define whether you're going to have God's best in the next phase of your destiny and breakthrough or you're going to frustrate yourself into stagnation and destruction. Say, I understand what you're saying. I'll give you a simpler example. When you find a hen, mother hen, it starts to lay its eggs, five, six eggs. It has laid them. That is breakthrough. It has brought forth for us, right? It has broken forth. It has brought forth. And these are eggs, right? And then it creates a little nest for them. But what is for breakthrough is stagnant. It's not functional. It's not as beneficial because nothing is happening to this egg. It's just an egg. But breakthrough has happened, right? Now, if you only know one dimension or two dimensions of life and the ways of God, Unlike this mother hen, which by God has been designed to know what to do to translate or convert what God has given it for breakthrough. Some of you, when you look at that egg and nothing is happening on it, you say, this is useless. And you throw it away. This is useless. And you abandon it. This is useless. And then you disconnect. This is useless. And then you lose by wisdom the responsibility you must carry to harness this thing to its full term. The mother hen is smart, okay? Once it lays its eggs, it's going to go out, eat whatever it has to, and it's going to come and sit on them and keep them warm. Warm. Incubation. 
One day, two days, three days, it's incubating. Nothing is happening concerning its breakthrough, physically, openly. But something is happening in the germ, within the seed. Something in there is growing, and it needs the necessary what? Environment. So it conditions itself to sit there at a given time and period, which is designed by God in its wisdom. 21 days later, something has broken out. Now, that's a next level breakthrough. Why? Because the mother hen took responsibility to know how to harness that first breakthrough when it was stale, when it was inactive, dysfunctional or without function, when it was not relevant or applicable in that world, it carried the wisdom of that responsibility. And this chicken hatches. Hatches breaks through the shell too. It has broken out. It's a breakthrough. But it can't move. It can't run. It can't fly. But it's a breakthrough. And then it requires its own trainings as well through imitation and identity. It finds itself one day as it continues to feed and you know, adjust to life. And then one day, this chick stands. But Mother Hen too has a responsibility in how to feed them before they can feed themselves, in how to protect them before they can fly, in how to undergird them before they can fight for themselves, in how to scratch for them before they can grow enough clothes to scratch for their own ground, because it has that wisdom. And you find that in animals, but it's not in human beings. I think many of you who have been in this ministry have known this for a fact. Even if you go on the internet, you'll discover. When the tsunami hit, they tell you animals went up the mountain two days before because they sensed the vibrations of the tsunami. Two days before the tsunami hit, they started to see animals getting themselves off leeches and going up the mountain. They started to see elephants, which are usually held by little tiny bands, breaking those bands, going up the mountain. People's cats escaped home. People's dogs ran away from home howling and went on the mountains and stayed there two days. People announced missing animals that day. Two days later, tsunami hit and hundreds of thousands of people were destroyed and properties and no scientist could sense how deep or serious this was going to, you know, affect people. And hundreds and thousands died. But animals were saved because they were sensing, they carried certain wisdoms that are living human beings, the very image of God and likeness. That's just how fallen we can be. But animals now discern more than we do. We must understand the way of God. We must understand the way of God. So, like I was saying, some deliverances are going to come with dysfunctional circumstances. Right? You have given birth. That was a deliverance. As a woman conceives to full time and brings forth, this child won't come into a world walking. Isn't it? They're not going to be speaking. They have hands, but the hands are weak. They're not functional. They have feet, but the feet can't stand. This child, they are not functional. Their brain can't work. But because this person is not functional, it doesn't mean they're not a human being. 100% you were once like that. But somebody gave you milk. And you grew teeth. And then they took you all through your first steps of walking. 
remember some of us when we were growing up, right? When my young brother was learning to walk, I remember my mom got, you know those winnowing sticks? Mm-hmm. So they give the boy. You give him and then you tell him walk. So he holds that stick and then he... Now the fellow runs, you see? And I see that that's how we were taught to run, we were taught to speak. We became something. But there was a responsibility on the part of those that raised us to make sure that they did their part to raise this breakthrough that also now has become another breakthrough. So it's breakthrough into breakthrough, deliverance into deliverance, glory into glory, faith into faith, power into power. That's how God has designed life. From glory to glory. From deliverance to deliverance. From victory to victory. You understand? And usually, the next victories are usually deeper and bigger than the previous victories and breakthroughs. But if you miss the way of God and judge him wrong and judge circumstances wrong, you might find yourself going back. The children of Israel told Moses, now go back to the text. You brought us out from Egypt, listen, (laughs) to kill us. To kill us and our children and our animals. Can you imagine? That the deliverances of God they see as some sort of plan by God deliberately to kill them. That's how some of you see God. Because your job came with certain circumstances. But it's only because you forget one time you were in your mother's house without a coin. It's only because you're forgotten. So when these circumstances come through, because you carry no wisdom to know how to circumnavigate through them, then you judge matters roughly and find yourself even in a more fallen state than you were before because you are not prudent in the spirit. You don't judge things right. You were the one who used to weep at night. God, I need a man. I need to get married. Now you're married and you're treating that man like uh, nothing. You don't even remember that time you sowed that seed and went on the mountain for days because you realized in your family people don't get married. Now the breakthrough is here. And maybe you've had misunderstandings. You understand you've not seen things the same way and probably things are not reconciled and you're here now judging whatever God gave you because you're short-sighted on where it's going. You forget quickly. Some of you, the people you're treating badly, these were the same people who were there when the world could not look at you. Some of you, the people you're disrespecting now, they're the very people who could clean you when nobody could touch you. They're the only people who could bear with you when nobody could. Some of you, where you're coming from, Even your fathers had abandoned you before you came to the church. Your mothers had no business with you. And these men and women have invested time in you. You understand? They have stood with your madness. And those are the same people you sit in on that piece of chicken and start judging. You see what I'm saying? But you cannot tell how far this journey is going. It's only a matter of time. And I've also realized, like the children of Israel, walking in such indifference, I realize many people have not yet known the difference between bondage and captivity. And I've seen men live lives in the freedom from bondage as though they are living in the liberties of men out of captivity. I'll explain that. If they put chains on your hands and shackles on your feet and you're walking like that, a slave, that's a man bound. Okay, that's you living in bondage. 
spiritually, the term also, there are people whose hands are literally tied. If a person's hands are tied in the spirit, that means, remember the Bible says the Lord will bless the works of your hands. If you have a dream, for example, and somebody had tied your hands, it means you're not going to be functional in the realm of labor and work, hard work, right? Because he said he'll bless the works of your hands. Spiritually, hands represent work, labor. So if somebody's hands spiritually are tied, that's the kind of person who can't get a job. That's the kind of person, if they start a business, it cannot thrive. You dream it, or sometimes we sit in the spirit, right? Some people dream when their feet are tied. That's progress, right? If you dream and you have shackles, it means you are not liberated spiritually to progress and advance as you ought. If you dream your feet are tied, it means you're stuck. You're not going to move. If you dreamt that and you're having an interview, Tomorrow for a promotion, you might not have it. You see, because there's a correlation between what God is trying to redeem and the wisdom for you to pray for the redemption of that thing. Again, it's understanding how the spirit realm works because some of you don't even know how the world of dreams work. That's bondage. And the devil can do that. Demons can do that. But there's a person, they don't have chains. The chains have been released. They're even singing, My chains are gone. You see, you remember that old song of You put the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Do, 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 do. I just want to praise you. Who remember that song? Yeah, yeah. Rich kids will remember. <laughs> if you were raised in Kayunga, you don't know this song. If you're raised in Kayunga, you know a song like Yansumululanzi. <laughs> Now, if you want to know the meaning and you don't come from this part of the world, it simply means he delivered me from bondage. But to take shackles off you, to take chains off your hands, to release you from bondage is different from releasing you from captivity because I can release these shackles off you and tell you, but don't move that far. That's captivity. But don't cross that line. That's captivity. So you have a box like the box of this stage, right? I don't have chains on me. I can dance, I can jump, I can sing. That's not a man in bondage. But if I cannot move beyond this, then I'm under captivity. So some of you, you confuse the liberties of bondage with the freedom of captivity. You remember when Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go that they might, what? Worship me. Pharaoh said to Moses, Exodus 8.28, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. In other words, in his mind, Pharaoh had a definitive boundary beyond what these people could cross if they were to worship their God. So are they free to worship God? Yes, but they are under some captivity. So Pharaoh, like Satan, some of you don't mind you praying in captivity. He has removed the shackles of bondage. Fasting in captivity, you know, serving in captivity. Let me give you an example. 
shackles fell off your hands and your feet, you got a good job. Right? But you're not financially liberated. How do I know? If you lost that job, it's your end. That means you're still in captivity of a job. Are you following what I'm saying? The day you lose that job, you're gone. I've met Christians. They tell them, you know, we've terminated your contract and they faint and die. Because much as they are freed from the bondage of lack, they are still in the captivity of the provisions of the arm of flesh. Are you following? So that means even though you can eat, you have clothes on you, you, you have shoes on your feet, there are things you cannot do because you're still in some sort of boundary. Okay, build a house, but build up to here. You can't go beyond. You know, drive a car, but you can't drive beyond. Raise children, but you can't go beyond. Have your family, but you can't go beyond this joy. See? Yet God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God has promised that you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath. Upward and forward you'll go only. God has given you exceedingly great promises. The Bible says by which we are partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the world through what? Corruption. So you've escaped the corruption of this world, the destructions of this world. These precious promises make you a partaker of the divine nature. That means they help you live the God life. Not good life, God life. G-O-D, capital G. So that means you're not living God's best because much as the bondage has gone, you, the captivity is available. There is a limitation on your life. Some of you, you're Africans, right? Here, physically. But even in the spirit, you see yourselves as Africans. You don't see yourselves as children or God. That means you're still in captivity. And you know, recently, I had a chance to read some works on racism. I was engaging a few sources here and there to understand why is there racism in the world? Why do people look at people of different colors and, you know, disqualify them and say, this is, this, this is not that? I think some of you, if you want to study, go read about the critical race theory. The critical race theory. You realize that it's not natural, it's not a biological thing for somebody to look at a person of a certain color and say that uh, this person is inferior to me or is less than I. Racial segregation is not necessarily inborn, that somebody's born and they look at this color and they think that it's inferior or that, no. But it starts to form up as social groups. Eh? People start coming together and then start to define uh, statuses among each other, right? And these statuses then start to bring these segregations. It just develops as people start to come together to build societies, communities, and certain cultures, value systems, and certain statuses are defined either subjective or objective, but then these statuses then start to put certain people in certain places, and then it's passed on, you know, generation upon generation. But it's not that this child who is three understands that. It means this issue of color 
It can go when you earn your right. Did you get it? Let me explain what I mean. Imagine a day where, like the Bible says, the tail shall be the head and the head shall be the tail. Imagine a day where one day Africa grows so fast and certain parts of some of these other nations outside that group perhaps go down socially, economically. And then this part of the world becomes richer than, say, Europe. I'm just give you an example. Do you realize that that disappears? The issue of racism goes. Why? Because status can elevate a man beyond his color. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can elevate a man above his color. You get my point? That's why I tell you, my African people, invest in reading. Invest in yourselves. Invest in learning. Invest in adopting, mutating, you know, evolving, adjusting to things. Invent and innovate. Dream as you ought. Let us do things. One day we will earn all the respect we need. All the respect we need. All the respect you need. They won't look at you as a second or third world or third. No, because when they see, they see these people as slaves. This is where it begins from. You understand what I'm saying? But imagine a world where this slave is going to be liberated to a place one day where they can get everything that they would need in life. The only problem is if this slave matures into all the provisions they need in life and they still act like a slave. That's what I see with our black boys in America. This boy is a multi-millionaire in dollars and he's putting on a $6 million watch. Bill Gates doesn't wear that because the brain is not enslaved. Why would you wear a $6 million watch? Sterling time. Bragging rights. I understand. But for, to what end? I'm not saying you shouldn't have the best in life, but there's a time where wisdom then kicks in and tells you, in as much as you will want the best, some things are a sign of slavery. Your mind is enslaved. So the boy is buying this to say, I'm liberated. I saw one who owned a hundred cars because he had the money. You see what I'm saying? So there's something there. That's why mindset change is a very important aspect. You see? But you don't need to have a million dollars to know you're enslaved. No, some of you, we just need to go in a line of food serving on a wedding day. <laughs> you're in the line like this. And then this person fetches a plate the size of a mountain. And then you go and sit on the table to eat. And they eat two, three pieces, some rice and meat, then some matoke, and then almost 60 or 40% they won't eat. And then they'll put away. Then you think, huh, maybe, miscalculation. Next time, now I'm that dude, Omanaga, that studies those things. So the next time again, you're again observing this individual. They go on the same line like you did. And they still fetch a mountain. And they still eat two, three pieces. Okay? Second time. Third time we shall judge. Third time again, you're on the same table with this individual. And they still fetch a mountain and they can't fill it. So I realize this person, one, has never finished their food. But every time they take, they're taking more than they need. And if I go back into their history, I realized, oh, they lived in a scarcity of food. And then they got fixated in the world of lack. 
Do you understand? So when they were delivered from the bondage of lack, they stayed in the captivity of food. So two things are bound to happen. Either they will always waste food, okay? And usually, or always, scripture is very clear, a wasting spirit tendeth to poverty. You see people who waste it. You know some of you, you think heaven there and see that. Let me tell you. Do you remember when Jesus fed 5,000 men and so? Women and children? The Bible says, he says, collect all that is remaining. And when he collected all that was remaining, there were 12 baskets full. Why did Jesus intend to preserve? Yet he could make more tomorrow morning. Because heaven never wastes. Even your victories are not wasted. Your breakthroughs are not wasted. Provision, divine provision, never wastes. Never forget that. Go to a party, fetch what's enough. If you want more, go have more. But at least fetch what's enough. So two things either will happen. Either they'll always waste and throw away, and spiritually you're setting a law against you that one time will make you look for whatever you're throwing away. And if you study yourselves, everybody who has thrown away food has looked for it. You study yourself. Everybody is a perpetual, you know, waste of food. One day you look for it. If you don't look for it, you look for a form of it. If they don't waste them, some, they'll overindulge. The person eats like Jesus is returning next week. <laughs> you know, and gluttony is sin. Gluttony is sin. You know, how do you separate a gluttonous person from a normal eating person? Sometimes it's not only in the amount, not only, underline that word, in the amount of food they eat. But if you want to know that you are gluttonous, one, you wake up to eat. You have a gluttonous spirit. You ate lunch, Perhaps you even ate dinner and you're 3 a.m. in the morning burning toast. That's a demon spirit. God has designed a man when to be awake and when to sleep. But if this thing should interrupt even your sleeping schedule, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. It's only a matter of time. Your tent will betray you. You know something when you read the scriptures, when they say, expand your tent, stretch your tent, spare not. No, he's talking about the anointing. He's not talking. <laughs> of course, there are people who are big in size, not because they're heavy eaters, but it's genes. Yeah, it's genes. That's okay. But then there are also people who are like this because... <laughs> That's one. Two, the other, other thing to know that you carry the gluttonous spirit when you find yourself hiding your food. That means there's something in there convicting you that you're doing beyond a normal human being. There are people who hide their eating. They consume in hiding. When they're in public, they never eat. Oh, they eat small. Oh, no, no. <laughs> then they send for a bugger somewhere silently and then they let the bugger in and then I remember some of you asked who watched Tom and Jerry 
there was this dog called, was it called Butch? Huh? And then there was Storm, and then there was Jerry the mouse. And I remember one day, by mistake, as Storm was running, he entered Butch's what? Butch's kennel. And then Butch had this laugh of, <laughs> he shut the door. Because this was meat to him. So some of you, it's the same way. You get that because, <laughs> bah, then you close, then you come out. Dinner time, then you sit on the table. As people are eating, hey, Mandangin, are you eating little? No. You're belching garlic. Gluttony is sin. Because anything that is not usually done in the light, so I've helped somebody, I've helped somebody, I've helped somebody. So, this was an example of food, but every other aspect on life shows that some of you might be free from the bondage of a thing whose captivity you're still under. That's why Paul says, even though all things are lawful unto me, I will not be brought under the power of any. To have enough food and still eat just enough for your body, that's a man who is both out of the bondage and captivity of food. But it can work in every other aspect. Every other aspect. And some of you can never come out of captivity until you learn the wisdom of designing deliverances or breakthroughs. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The bigger picture. Says if it's finances, you're not just out of poverty. The Bible speaks of the grace that can be available for you, listen, for you to have all sufficiency in all things, the Bible says, that you may also abound to every good work. You know what that means? One, you have all that you need. Give the amplified version of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace, listen, every favor and earthly blessing is able, is able. I'm talking to you who is believing God for rent and has a loan and you fail to pay the debt even though you drive a nice car and live well. He is able, the Bible says, to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance, in abundance, in abundance, in abundance, in abundance. So don't think that everyone who has things in abundance has sinned. No, not everybody who is blessed with so much is a sinner. Some of you think that all the rich people are sinners, all the rich men of God are sinners, the poor ones are going to heaven. Okay, you'll see where I'll be seated. Now listen, so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, whatever the need be, be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. This is what he's saying. This is how you know that you're free financially. When you have all that you will ever want. If you want a nice car, you're going to buy it. If you want a nice house, you live there. But also, it's not enough to provide for yourself and your house. That's short-sightedness. That's myopia. He's saying it should be extended for you to be furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That means everything that needs provision in the kingdom, you have enough to fund. Somebody say that's me. And let me give you a secret to help some of you. When I was in university, living on about 10,000 shillings a week, 20, 10 to 20, 10, 20, this is what my father would afford. I got that portion of scripture and with my pocket money, started educating a poor kid 
pocket money. And I would forego some nice meals and buy myself some buns on water. And I took this kid to school. Senior five, senior six. And I kept telling myself, I have all sufficiency for everything that I need and I have more for every good work. And I went to churches and they said we are building and I'll get 1,000 or 2,000 and I put it there. And I tell God I carry all sufficiency to have enough for me that I have enough for every good work. There is never a work of God that has ever come to me for help and I've turned away. That was not when I got money physically. That was when even as at my brokest, at least get 100 shillings. Because to God it matters that you are living in this faith. But some of you, you will never live a wealthy life because you don't understand how the law of faith works. How the law of faith works. We don't give because we have. We give because we believe we've been given. I educated a student on my pocket money. And we sometimes drank water. You fry eggs and water and that's it. And that's okay, you go through, you lose weight but somebody's going to school, you're sowing for something bigger than you. How can I be poor? And the same time some of you were indulging and you never cared where the next kid would go to school or how. That's those little small seeds. We fed families, we built churches. I remember one day I had like three or four thousand shillings left with me and some Anglican church came and they were fundraising. I got over two thousand. I also gave it. I said, I have all sufficiency to support every good work and charitable donation. That's why I'm telling you, when you see these street kids on Sunday, even if you give 300 shillings a month, do it. You'll see what God will do in your life. Don't ever carry a mindset. Don't ever carry a mindset that you lack. Don't ever carry it. But if you find somebody who is selfish and money was their God, have you found people, some of you have them in life, who always don't have Yet they can buy other things for themselves. You know, if they need a shoe, it's there. If they need a car, it's there. If they need clothes, it's there. But when it's for them to extend a good work or charitable donation, they don't have money. That kind of man can never be rich. Because some of those are bound and in captivity. I don't know whether I'm helping somebody. Am I helping somebody? So God doesn't want you to just you know, have a nice car and then build a nice house and then go to heaven. No, he wants you to build big for the kingdom. That's why I want people, I want people in advance, wait for our cathedral. Wait. Nobody will look at it once. we are buying land for pastors. I want you to know this. Every year, we buy land for pastors. We are looking after ministry. Some are even not even submitted to us. God is watching. We are storing. You get my point? They will have to look twice. They do. Then they go. But not once. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. 
It will happen. It will happen. We're furnished. Some of you don't know. Do you know I began Fanero on a loan? I had to borrow five million because I had a dream. And look where the Lord has brought us. And in that loan, I still gave my first fruit. Even when the loan was there, we tithed every day. And since Fanero began, we've never eaten our first fruit or tithe. My CFO and COO can assert that. So we know what we're doing. Just give it time. Things will evolve. Praise the Lord. Things will evolve. We are looking after orphans. What? We've been giving to hospice. We're planning another seed there. We've been looking after Irene Gleason. There were 60 kids that were picked in COVID. We paid for their medical annual food. Annual, you know, we're looking after them. We've bought parts for kids in the north. More than 3,000 girls. You know, we sent food for nodding disease. You know, we sent food to Karamoja. We've sent food in Gitgum. We are feeding people. We are looking after orphans. Do you know why we're doing all of that? Every good work, Fanero is there. Every good work. Every good work, we're there. We are just not the kind who blow our what? Trumpets. But they will hear them blow one day. When they are blown, listen, when they are blown, we don't want to be the ones blowing them. I want an angel to come from heaven and do pupururu, puru. Back to what I was trying to tell us. We're still talking about deliverance. Breakthrough. Samson went through the same issue in Judges 15, and I will read from the 14th verse. It came to pass. He came to Lehi. And the Philistines, the Bible says, shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. This was a man, strongest man uh, that we had ever seen. And he found jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men with it. Wow! A thousand men with just a jawbone of a what? Of an ass. The Bible says, and Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, he upon hips with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of all speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place what? Ramath Lehi. And he was so athirst and called on the Lord and said Has thou given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Wow. Does it ring a bell? Like the Egyptians who think that God can betray them and let them die after the victory he has given them in Egypt. Samson is also asking God, did you give me victory over these thousands of people and now you're going to abandon me to die of a thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? This is what God did. The Bible says in verses 19, God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw. And there came water out. And when he drank, his spirit came alive and he revived. And wherefore, he named the place Enkakore, which is in Lehi today. God 
created a way. He made a way. He split open a hollow place that was at Lehi and water came out because he's trying to tell Samson, how do I give you such a breakthrough and let you die at the hand of a Philistine? You don't know me yet. He's telling Israel, how do I part the seas, send plagues, and put you on dry ground through, trying to lead you into the wilderness and let you die of a disease unless you don't know me, and let you die of thirst unless you do not know my way. The setbacks have come. The confusion has come. The drama has come. The frustrations have come. The stagnation has come. But I don't want you to forget that there was a great breakthrough before they came. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't want you to forget that nobody in your family would get married. I don't want you to forget that you're the first person to speak English in your father's house. I don't want you to forget that you left that village, but your siblings haven't. I don't want you to forget that you're the richest person in your father's house. Oh, I don't know who I'm talking to. God is trying to tell you, I have not brought you this far and invested this much in you to let you die under the hand of an uncircumcised man. I have not brought you this far to this extent to make you faint in your day of marriage, to make you faint in your day of progress, to make you faint in your day of advantage. I began this good work. In fact, Paul says, confident of this, that he which began her good work in you. He will perform it until the day of Christ. I began it. Trust the power that brought you to Kampala. Trust the power that took you into that university. Trust the power that made that man look at you. Trust the power that put you on the altar the first day. Trust the power that put you in that car and you made it into the city. Trust the power that took your journey back and forth and you arrived at the destination that brought you in that place in the first place. I began that good work in your life. Some of you, some of you, some of you, you would be dead by now. Trust the power that could not get you aborted. Trust the power that would not bring the stillbirth in your mother's womb. Trust the power that took you to school and educated you. I surely didn't give you that degree for you to rot in Mango. I did not give you that master's degree for you to rot in Najana and Kumbi. I did not give you that progress and job and advantage for you to be a laughing stock and to bring you to shame. I began this work in your life. I will see it to accomplishment till the day of Christ. Check somebody and tell them I come from far. Some of us, we just need to look back a few weeks and we have enough adrenaline to praise God. Some of us just need to look back a few days and I'm already up on my feet jumping because I know this Father Lord has brought me. I remember those days when I thought I was going to die the next week. It has been months, nothing has happened to me. I remember that time when I knew I was afraid I was gone. They had written newspapers, released videos and I thought, where is my ministry going to go? And the next thing I is here, Papa, let's buy more chairs. People keep coming. Oh, 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 oh. Being confident of this very thing. That he which began that work in me. 
see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. I don't know whether I'm speaking to a log or a human being. Touch your neighbor again and tell them I came from far. I can't die now. I can't faint now. I can't be taken out now. There is still a purpose of God upon your life. I know that some things are paused. But don't pause. I know that some things are still in dormant state. But don't be dormant. Keep sitting on your eggs. Keep hatching. Keep incubating. Keep praying. Keep seeking God. Like a woman who knows that I have a journey. For some of you, the chicks are still in the egg. For some of you, the chicks have broken out of the egg. They're still trying to walk. But the point is, keep doing your part. Don't forget where God has got you from. Don't forget what you have gone through to get here. COVID could have killed you. Any other thing could have killed you. You have survived accidents. You have survived witchcraft. You have survived bad bosses. You have survived frustrating government systems. You have survived politicians. You have survived local area chairmen. You have survived mean neighbors. You have survived gossipers and slanderers. You have survived stepmothers. You have survived, you know, hackers. You have survived souls. You have survived, I'm talking of the soul of the Bible. You have survived many things. And God is still holding you up saying, let's go. Don't draw back to perdition. Don't draw back into unbelief. Don't lose your step. Don't lose your faith. Because something is not yet hurting. Look back at the last victory. And this is what I learned by God. This is what I learned by God. Every time you go through a confusing, frustrating, stagnating, you know, circumstance after a great victory, it's only because he's going to forge a bigger victory. And listen, and usually, usually, that victory will not come through conventional means. For the children of Israel, Moses smites a rock. For Samson, he goes in a hollow somewhere and cleaves a place for the man to drink because he's telling Samson. Surely, there was a plan for you to have water. This time it was not going to come from a spring, it was not going to come from a tap, it was going to come from a rock, but it was there. So some of you, instead of looking for the rock that will bring the next water, instead of looking out for the next window and door that is coming through, for you to progress to the next level, you're looking back and you want to return back to Egypt. Don't go back. Keep your focus. Keep your focus. Keep your focus. That disease is not going to kill you. That marriage is not going to fail. Your children, I know there's a woman listening to me. You don't, you've been telling God, my child, my son, my daughter, my... Put your hand on your womb right now, if you're that woman, and say this very womb that bore you, child, is a living testimony of a breakthrough 
that cannot die, cannot be destroyed by drugs, by perversion, by death. I told people my brother was on drugs. Disappeared for days. And then God gave us a word of knowledge that he was going to die. In fact, I contacted my mom during that time. I was in Hong Kong. I told that story. She put her hand on her womb and said, if you came out of this womb, come. She called him by name. And the boy came that very day. After four months of disappearing. Because God has not ordained breakthroughs to die in the hands of their carriers. He that began that work, he will see to accomplishment of the day of Christ. Don't let your baby die. Don't let your dream die. Don't let your business die. Don't let your school die. Don't let your university die. Don't let your hospital. Don't kill it. Don't kill your marriage. Don't kill your ministry because of unbelief. He began it. There is more power to begin than to sustain. Now I want you to open your voice and thank God. Come on, celebrate him. Take a few seconds and celebrate him. Ah, 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 celebrate Jesus. Take away your diplomatic attitude. Take away your political demeanor. Take away your status in society. Take away your degrees and masters. Take away your education and your beauty. Celebrate the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. from far but this time mark me right I am going far tell them I'm going far I still have a journey God is not done with me yet hey celebrate Jesus
Let me decree two things on your life. Number one, that God has not only brought you out of something, given you such a great breakthrough, this far he has brought you by accident. And therefore I decree and I declare upon your life that you will not fail because God has brought you this far for a purpose. He has brought you this far by design. Nothing will kill you early. Nothing will take you out. No tongue of man, no scheme, no scandal, no disease, no plague, no bondage, no circumstance will take you out. I decree that on your life. Secondly, you are about to enter into one of the greatest deliverances of your life. You are about to enter the most distinct breakthrough of your life since you were born. Receive it right now in the name of Jesus. Receive it right now. It's going to be spiritual. It's going to be financial. You are about to enter a glory like nobody ever believed. Nobody ever assumed. Nobody would ever understand. Nobody will ever interpret the greatest days of your life are not far from you from today. And like God clave a hollow place for Samson to drink. God is about to design something from the least expected, most unconventional door or window. But it is going to come soon. Give him a man of praise if you believe it. Divine health is yours. Peace is yours. Victory is yours. Progress is yours. Increase is yours. Joy is yours. Peace is yours. There are people here who have been carrying very, very heavy, 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 heavy burdens emotionally. You've been in pain, asking God many questions about your family, your life, your body. Today, it's the last time you'll ask. It's the last time you'll ask. It's the last time you'll ask. Answers come your way in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now, before we close this service, I want to give an opportunity to somebody who says, today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're that person, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Amen. sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at fenero.org. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.